Hello, and welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Thank you for joining us to worship and learn more about God as we all pursue Him together as a community. For more podcasts and services about past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendecatur.org. Or come connect with us in person on Sunday mornings in downtown Decatur. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. How are you? Well, good morning. Good morning. Hey, I want to introduce my friend Kathy Scamahorn. Say, hey, Kathy. Yeah. Uh, I want you, you don't know this, but you need to know this that um, when we were singing at the end of that, that song, we were saying, Hell lost another one. Um, this is who we're talking about right here, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and me, and some of you, yes? Yes. <laughs> I, 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 I don't say that. Um, to embarrass her at all, but we really have to be thankful for the work that God has done. But I do want to say something real quick before she reads our scripture passage this morning that we're going to teach through. Um, a number of years ago, you might remember that we sent out an all-church prayer request for a, a member of ours who was going through a very tough medical situation. And um, I don't even know if we shared your name, but, but Kathy was going through a real hard time a couple years ago, and God did some really cool stuff in her life. And in fact, yeah, come on, let's give him the glory. And, and, she, <laughs> and she reminded me that um, she couldn't read a better passage today than the one where Jesus is healing a couple women. So um, anyways, uh, we love her around here. If you don't know her, it's your problem. You need to get to know her. She's amazing. Her husband, Ron. Ron got up and read last week. He did a great job as well. So anyways, um, let's just let her lead us in um, our continued time of worship as she leads us through the scripture reading today. Today's teaching text is Luke chapter 8, verses 40 to 56. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me here. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up and 
at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. This is the Lord's word. I have uh, no comments on that last line or two uh, in the passage where Jesus tells his, her parents to give her something to eat. Um, I just think that's kind of cool of Jesus to do something like that. Like she just went through a big thing. She died, I don't know. Um, and you should comfort her with um, sliced turkey and stuffing and leftover mashed potatoes. I don't know what he said, but he said, give her something to eat. And so we're thankful for that. We're gonna go eat in a little bit here after I get done preaching. Um, so hold on to that. But I want you to stretch your imaginations with me this morning as we start. I wanna write, I just wrote a couple paragraphs um, to try to personify the story that oftentimes we can read in between the lines in the scriptures and to really understand motivations and characters and stuff like that. So uh, that being said, just in your mind's eye, just go with me here. So sitting outside the delivery room and listening to the wails of childbirth is certainly unnerving. But when his wife is giving birth to the first child, there is more excitement than anxiety. Even before the midwife comes out, he already knows that a child has been born because he can hear its small harmonizing cries with its mother's. It's a girl, the midwife says, and she is perfectly healthy. A small smile creases his sun-leathered face. I hope she looks like her mother, he thinks. Meanwhile, across town, a woman is visiting her doctor because she has been bleeding for longer than normal this month. Something doesn't quite feel right, yet the doctor offers nothing but an encouraging word and directions. Just, just wait a little bit longer. These things usually take care of themselves. Somewhat relieved, she trusts his words and she goes home. But in a month or so, she returns and explains that the bleeding has only gotten worse. And then she pleads for help. Please, do something. There's gotta be something you can do for me. The doctor, not knowing what to do, refers her to yet another physician, one with more experience in conditions like hers. Her hopes are dashed yet again, and yet when this doctor says he cannot help her, she cries, I have money to give you. I will do anything. Just try something, anything. And so they try several natural remedies. Everything under the sun, she tries. Some of them bring relief for a few days, some of them not so much. And when she returns, the doctor just says, maybe next month's cycle will help regulate the issue. And they keep saying this, and months go by, months turn into years, and she becomes more weak and more sick with every passing day. And she's also been restricted from worshiping God. She was not allowed to go to synagogue or church, if you will, because her bleeding had caused her to be ritually unclean. And the law of Moses forbid her from participating in religious ceremonies. So these couple paragraphs are just to try to flesh out what it must have felt like for these individuals. Luke just records for us that there's a man named Jairus has a 12-year-old daughter, she's sick, she's dying, can you come help? And, 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 and consequently, there's also another woman with a condition of blood that she's been bleeding for 12 years. And I saw that connection, 12 years, 12 years. I'd never seen it before, I'd read the Bible many times through before, but I never saw that connection. Luke tells us the woman is 12 years old 
And then as Jesus is going to her home, he's interrupted by a woman who has a condition of blood for 12 years. You could almost imagine that the moment this little girl was born with all hopes for the future, the, 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 the future is pregnant with possibilities, we say, and the parents are just excited to have their firstborn child. Seemingly somewhere else on the other side of town, a woman is getting sick and she gets sicker and sicker and sicker. One story is a story of a hope of a future. The other story is a story of a prolonged affliction and pain. A woman whose life has changed by no cause of her own. That she did not cause this. This is something that's happened to her. And yet she was the one called to endure it. Jesus had just returned from the other side of the sea. We'll give a little backstory here. It says, crowds had gathered and followed Jesus everywhere. That wherever Jesus went, he performed miracles and healings. And the crowds would hear of this and they would come and they would listen to him. And they come from out of nowhere and Jesus instructs his disciples at one point to get into a boat and they're gonna cross the sea to go to this other part of the land over there. And during this voyage, the boat is almost capsized by a storm. Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves. You know the story we talked about it a couple weeks ago. And the disciples and Jesus were saved. And after crossing the sea, Jesus is confronted by a man, a demoniac, a man possessed by many demons. And he's living in a graveyard, kicked out of his own city. He comes to Jesus, falls at his feet. Jesus frees this man from his demons. You can listen to that sermon from last week. And he heals the man's mind. It's clear once again. And he sends him back home, up the hill, back into his family and where his city, in the city where his family is. And the man that Jesus encounters had been made whole. And that's what Jesus does when he encounters people. He makes them whole. The townspeople, on the other hand, don't want anything to do with Jesus. So they say, please go. And I want you to notice right quick, um, that is oftentimes the response when Jesus is brought up amongst ourselves and or our friends or our family. Many of them are receptive to Jesus and want more Jesus. Any Jesus wanters in the room? I can be the only one, I don't care. <laughs> and there are others, and I wanna ask you to raise your hand on this one. How many people don't want Jesus? Or maybe it's easier to say it this way. How many people want Jesus in most aspects of your life, but there's just some parts of your life that you just don't want Jesus to meddle with? There's really two types of people, people who want everything that Jesus has. He can make us whole, but to make us whole, we have to relinquish everything that we have. The man with the demons did that, but the people in a city did not. And so they demand Jesus leave. And so Jesus does. What an honorable guy. He gets in the boat and travels back across the sea. So Jesus and the disciples, they leave the eastern shores of the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of the whatever, and they return back to Capernaum. Just so you know, Capernaum is sort of the uh, de facto home base for Jesus and his ministry. This is the home place of Peter and James, and Jesus stayed there often. And as they disembark from the boat and get back on the shore there in Capernaum, the crowds of people, Luke tells us, have been waiting for him. They've been waiting for Jesus' return. The Gentiles on the other side of the lake, the townspeople wanted nothing to do with Jesus, but here they do. You see the distinction that Luke is making. There are two types of people, the people that want Jesus and people that don't. So here he is immediately surrounded by hurting and needy people the onlookers and the thrill seekers. And some have heard of Jesus returning. They run towards him with great need. They think to themselves, if Jesus can do miracles, then I need to speak to him. Because why? Because I need a miracle. Everything I've done can't fix 
my issue. Everything I've tried, the books I've read, the incense I've burned, the meditations I've offered, none of them work. I need something other. And rumors of this man performing miracles, this prophet, this rabbi, this teacher, this somebody special is is swirling around the countryside and they hear it's Jesus. And so they come to sit and to listen to Jesus. If anyone can help me, it is Jesus, they think. Verse 40, I'll read these couple lines for us again. It says that Jesus returned, the crowd had welcomed him in stark contrast to the other side. They're waiting for him. And in verse 41, we're introduced to one of the main characters of the story, a man named Jairus. And Luke tells us that he's the ruler of a synagogue. And he falls at Jesus' feet and he implores Jesus to come to his house because verse 42 says, they had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. In a few words here, Luke paints for us a picture of desperation. This is what Luke is trying to tell us. This man Jairus needs Jesus to help him because he can't do anything on his own. And though this man Jairus has a respected position in the city as the ruler of the synagogue, that's the Jewish center of worship for the community, he does not care that Jesus had just returned from Gentile territory where people were living over there raising pigs. And this will make some distinct, or make a, a, it'll mean something in a moment. You see, according to Jewish law, there are many issues that could make a person unclean. Their purity would be affected. And if they, if they came in contact with various impure or unholy items like dead bodies, certain animals like swine and pigs, and even some bodily fluids. And if a person was considered unclean, they are then restricted from certain activities like worship. And they're restricted from entering certain places like holy places. And they're even restricted from how they encounter one another. They can't touch others if they're unclean. And all of these regulations are found in the Old Testament written by Moses, But it emphasized the holiness of God. If you're wondering why they're there, it emphasizes the holiness of God and the need for the Israelites to approach him with reverence and cleanliness. That there is a separation between God who is perfect and holy that we talked about already this morning and those of us who are not. And so if a person becomes unclean, they would have to purify themselves. And this typically meant undergoing ceremonial, ceremonial washing of their clothes and of their body and then patiently waiting until evening time. And this made them ritually clean once again, and they could re-enter all aspects of religious worship and communal activity. And previously, Jesus had been on the other side of the lake in Gentile territory, where they raised swine. The probability of Jesus and or his disciples of being unclean was high. Like if you're calling Vegas and want the numbers, it's high, I'm just saying. Yet Jairus, was willing to risk even contaminating himself by running right up to Jesus and falling at his feet. He's he's willing to set aside all positions of authority, power, excuse me, power that he might have to run up to Jesus. He's willing to risk even contaminating himself. All of this points to this reality that he was desperate for Jesus. He was so desperate that he wasn't even going to wait to make sure that that uh, Jesus was safe. <laughs> I don't know the line. I want to jump into that C.S. Lewis from Narnia where they ask about Aslan, the, the lion. 
They said, is he safe? And he goes, well, I don't know if he's safe, but he is good. (laughs) And Jairus seemed to understand this. I don't care if Jesus is safe or not. I don't care if he's clean or unclean. I don't care. He has something that could possibly change my situation. I'm going to go to Jesus because he's good. Say amen, I'll move on. That was fun. The desperation of Jairus was used as a catalyst. It would um, allow him to encounter Jesus in, in such a way that his own religion would not allow. Jairus was willing to risk the inability to perform his job. And that's one of the takeaways from this story. We can always turn away from our religiosity and turn to Jesus. Sometimes we think we have to do certain things. We have to pray the certain prayers or go back to church or do all the things that religion sometimes dictates that we should do. And just so you know, I'm a church guy. Like my paycheck comes from the church, just so you know. I think going to church is a huge deal in the life of a Christ follower. But if you're basing your relationship upon your attendance in church, you're basing it on the wrong thing. It is the work that Jesus Christ has done for us. Willingly. We didn't have to beg him to do it. (laughs) He just does it. So we must never think that our situations are too needy for Jesus, that we can't just run up to him from a distance and fall at his feet. We should never let our lack of church attendance stop us from inquiring from the one who could change our situation. I don't care your history with the church. I don't care what you've done the last three years or last weekend. Jesus is available to you, always. And when you're in need, if you're, if you're not running to Jesus, you're running to the wrong thing. Verse 42 says that his daughter was his only child. Only child, only baby, 12 years old. I have two daughters. This, reading this is hard for me. Just so you know, at 12 years of age, this is the age when Jewish girls transition into adulthood in terms of religious responsibilities and in the community. She's growing up. Today, young Jewish girls still celebrate their bat mitzvah around 12 or 13 years of age. And in Jesus' day, when a girl was 12 years old, that her parents would begin planning her wedding They would pick a husband and make plans for her future. It seems so archaic by today's standards, but it was common for them. Luke records this detail for us. She's 12 years old. Her life is starting right now. But Jairus and his wife will never be blessed to celebrate a wedding with their only child. Why? Because she was sick and dying now. On the precipice of a future that's shining brightly, death's shadow pushes back on their dreams. Surely they've tried everything to make her well, but she continues to get worse. Luke gives us these details to show us the motivation behind Jairus' plea for Jesus to come to his house to heal his daughter. And so we have seen the compassion of Jesus displayed many times in Luke's narrative. We should not be surprised when Jesus says, sure, I'll go to your house. Love to. When should we leave? Luke says, he says, yes. You can almost imagine Jesus grabbing his wrist and saying, let's go, and skipping along the way. Verse 42, the second half of 42, it says, as Jesus went, the people pressed in around him, the crowds, many of the crowds gathered around. And there's a woman who had a discharge of blood for how many years? 12 years. And though she'd spent all her living on the physician, she could barely be healed by anyone. And Luke, again, records all of these details for us, showing the hopelessness of this woman's situation. 
Not only had she spent all of her living on doctors only to not get any better, but she also would have been isolated by her own people. Uh, Michael Card writes this, in a culture that both revered and abhorred blood, this condition that the woman had would have rendered her perpetually unclean. Luke is intimating for us a grand proposition. Again, Card continues to write, he says, if she can be healed, it is not simply her health that will be restored, but she will get back her life. Her life is missing. She's alive, but not living. She's been isolated and removed from so many things that would make her who she is. And if God, if Jesus rather can heal her, then she will not only be made whole physically, but she will be made whole spiritually. And she will receive her life back. And that's a big statement, yes? So with a statement of that magnitude, we've also all murmured in such a thought, like if only Jesus would do something like this, if only things could go back the way they used to be, if only I could go back and change somehow how I handled that situation, I'll never do that again. But I'm telling you in Jesus, in Jesus, we get the ability to move forward, not living in our pasts. All of us, none of us are without regret on some things that we've done. I, I spoke last week of the wake of my debauchery. Right? I suspect all of you have something behind you that you wish you could undo, and you just can't. But if you go with Jesus, if you let Jesus change your life, he can give you a life and give you wholeness and a fulfillment, and he can even undo the shame and the condemnation that comes from, from the bad decisions that you've made. Jesus is not a time machine but he will pull you into a greater future for you and he will undo the, the shame and the sorrow that you feel from your past. Don't let your regret stop you from asking Jesus to help you. Is this at all making sense? Like getting a whole lot of eyeballs staring at me going, is this guy nuts or what? I have no idea. Lord, I pray, I've prayed for you that you would just feel the warmth of Jesus around you today. Just comfort. This has been my prayer for us this morning, comfort comfort. I know many of us are going through things in our lives, many of us, and I'm asking God to comfort us because we need it, yeah? Jesus can, does, often transform our past into something far better, for sure, but he makes a new way forward for us. Verse 44, it says that Jesus came up, sorry, the woman, sorry, came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Imagine that. After all those doctors and all that money spent, she reaches out to this rabbi prophet man and touches him and something changes immediately. The question I'm asking is why did this unclean, disgraceful woman presume to touch the one to whom even a synagogue ruler had bowed? Like she wouldn't even get close to bow him. She just stuck her hand through the crowds and went, bink, tried to touch his underwear, I guess. I have no idea what it is. <laughs> I don't think it's his underwear, but it felt right to say it just then. Luke doesn't tell us why she did what she did. Mark and Matthew give us a detail that Luke ignores. When Mark and Matthew tell this same story in their biographies that says that she, she believed and she said this. She's like, if I can just touch him, I know I can be made whole. Luke doesn't give us that detail, but if you know the stories of the Bible, that's what she said. She had said that to herself or to others. I don't know, but she goes, if I can just reach out and touch him, I know he can make me whole. She had something in her that believed that. She believes this woman reaches out to touch the tassels or fringes uh, of Jesus' prayer shawl 
And these, these tassels, just so you know, they're just a reminder of God's commandments. And touching his tassels was possibly a symbolic act of reaching out to divine power. And she believed, that she believed rather, presided in Jesus. That these tassels were representative of something that Jesus exuded. She didn't know for sure, but she had this belief to think that if I could just do this, if I could, if I could just for a moment do this thing, there's something inside of her that believed if I do that, it'll change for her. And this demonstrated what we call in, in the church faith. Just something inside of her believed this. Even, and this is my favorite part, even if she didn't fully understand what she was doing, she reached out to Jesus. That's my story. Like, I didn't even know about Jesus. I didn't know all the stories. I didn't know the magnitude of who Jesus was. But I'll tell you, I got to the place where I needed Jesus. And in desperation, with a little bit of belief and faith, I reached out to him and he changed my life. I had no idea. My, my worship of him is, is far more grand today because of the, the insights that I have about him. But in the beginning, I just reached out because I had nothing else to reach out for. Anyone? Anyone? Faith is important in our relationship to Jesus. But faith, hear me, is not enough. We must prove it through testing. Previously in this chapter, Luke has quoted Jesus saying as much in the, the parable of the sower. You remember he talks about the, the parable of the sower. The sower th th uh, throws seed out and it grows, and, but it, it, it requires more than just faith. And this testing that Luke is describing, it, we see exemplified in this story with this woman. She'd come to Jesus for healing. She had faith to believe that Jesus could heal her. But would she now admit that to the the crowds around her, will she give Jesus credit for what he has done for her? When Jesus sensed something happened, the woman touched, when, when Jesus sensed something happened when the woman touched him, he asked, who did this? Right, here's part of the story. So this woman comes up on his way to go to Jairus' house to help this young girl. This one reaches out, touches him, and, and, and Jesus senses it, whatever this means. We'll talk about this. And then Jesus stops the procession and asks, who did it? Who was it that touched me? And Luke says, everyone denied it. Everyone, including the one who did it. Diverting her eyes when he looked her way, she betrayed the truth at what had happened. She didn't speak up. Peter even tries to lighten the mood by saying, well, surely, Jesus, come on, bro. The crowds are so thick here. Someone, everyone's touching you. He thought possibly Jesus is just being too sensitive about being tossed around by the crowd. But Jesus doesn't care about that. He says, no, something happened. I felt power go out of me. And he wants the person who took the power to admit it. We talked last week about testimony and the power of, or last couple weeks, I should say, about the, the power of sharing the stories that God has done for us. She's been healed by Jesus. And when he asks her point blank, did you touch me? She says, no. We don't know why she hides the truth that Jesus has transformed her life. I don't know why you lie to your coworkers why Jesus is so important to you. <laughs> Embarrassment? I, dude, I seriously remember when I first became a Christian, I started taking my Bible with me to like lunch, like at work. And I'm like, this is, feels so weird. <laughs> like I was embarrassed. Is anyone... When I first became a Christian, I tell this, one of the hardest things for me to learn was to say the word Jesus 
and not mean it like a cuss word. Like I say it in reverence and love of Jesus, the son of God who saved me. Not because I can't get the 10 millimeter socket out of my toolbox. Anyone? <laughs> Where is this dang thing? Like all of God's questions, this question only makes sense to the one person, the, the person to which it's addressed. When God asks us questions, they might not make sense to anybody else, but they make sense to you. When God asks you to do something, all, all the people around you are gonna go, why would you do that? That don't make any sense. Why would you give up that? I don't know. Why, why would you do that? Why do you stop? Why? All the things God is asking you to respond to, no one else is going to get because you're the one who can respond. Just like the woman, nobody else in the crowd could say yes, they touched him. Only she could. Jesus oftentimes is talking to us the same way. Anyways, Bible commentator Craig Evans adds this. All of the situation does not imply when he asks, like when he asks, who touched me? This does not imply, he writes, that Jesus was ignorant of the situation. I love this. I think Jesus does know. He just wants the woman to reveal herself and to openly express the faith that caused her to touch him. This, at this juncture, guys, this is the testing of the faith that we've been discussing. That we believe Jesus can do something, and when he does something, then we have to, we test our faith even more. Are you going to now pronounce that faith in front of others so that they too can know who Jesus is? It was a testing. It's not just to receive the change and the healing, the transformation, but then it's to proclaim the one who did so in your life. Jesus is calling upon her to acknowledge her actions. That's it. He doesn't want to embarrass her. Just admit it. And in fact, at this point in Luke's account, it's, it's largely, we're seeing this as largely concerned with the movement of this woman from a place of seclusion and ritual impurity and, and now in, into denial. And, and she, he wants to move her from denial into public proclamation. And the crowds are pressing in and it's ready to choke out her little faith as it sprouts. And here's the test. Are you going to proclaim? So verse 47 says, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came tri trembling and she's falling down before Jesus and then declares, Luke records for us, in the presence of who? All the people, why she touched him and how she'd been healed. She proclaims, I'm desperate, I need help. She passes the test of faith. Michael Card again reveals this, that she is the third person in this chapter to be found at the feet of Jesus. First, there's the demoniac right in the Gentile ter territory across the, the sea. Then Jairus comes and falls at his feet. And now this nameless woman confesses Jesus before all the crowds and falls at his feet. Jesus is someone who is worthy of our worship. In verse 48, he calls her daughter. He says, daughter, your faith has, been made, has made you well. So now go in peace. Just so you know, if you're a Bible nerd like me, this is the only instance in all of Scripture, all of Scripture, where Jesus, we read of Jesus using the word daughter to talk about someone. It's a, de it's a designation of family. Remember earlier that Jesus said that his spiritual family or his family are those people who hear the word of God and do them. And here we see Jesus including this grateful woman into the family of faith. And we're also reminded that Jairus has a daughter at this point. So Luke, Luke brings the word daughter back in here. We're like, oh, that's right. We're supposed to be going to Jairus' house. Who's this crazy woman interrupting everything? Boom. God heals her through Jesus. 
And while he was still speaking, verse 49, someone from Jairus' house comes up to him and says, too late, your daughter passed away, nothing we can do. And he says, don't bother the teacher anymore. Which speaks to his level of faith here. He thought for sure Jesus could heal his daughter, but, he, but this person obviously doesn't believe Jesus could raise his daughter. A small distinction, but a distinction nonetheless. And if you're paying attention, Jesus does both. Sometimes we uh, limit Jesus in our thinking as well. We think Jesus can do these things and these things and these things, but not these things in our lives. God, I know you can save me from my sins, we proclaim, but you can't break the addictions in my life. I've always been this way. I'm always gonna be this way. Just ask my family, they'll tell you. I can't change, you can't, right? We, we say, yeah, you can save me from my sins, but you can't change my life. It's a lie you've bought into. He can and he does all the time heal people fully. But Jairus is encouraged by Jesus to believe. Verse 50, Jesus hears this and says to the man, Jairus, don't fear. I got you. <laughs> Let's go. Just believe and she's going to be made well. And if you've been paying attention to Luke's story, we would have the belief that Jesus could help her and he does. Skipping through this last little part. We see that Jesus goes to the house, brings in James and John and Peter and her parents and kicks everybody else out. We don't know why. There's a bunch of reasons why. Who knows? It's not the message today. But he, he raises the girl from dead, from the death. He comes through again and he proves that he has the power to overcome death like he did for the widow of Nain earlier in the narrative and he will do it again one more time for Lazarus later in this gospel. But here Luke concludes the storyline. Jesus heals the woman, the woman with a condition of blood and calls her daughter, thus showing her inclusion into the family of faith. And Jesus also heals the young daughter of Jairus. And the relationship within these two episodes transcends all kinds of narrative structure. There's so many parallels between these two stories. It's really one story of what God can do for those people who are hopeless. You yourself, you're hopeless. And you don't know who to turn to right? This is the woman with the condition of blood. She goes to Jesus. And then there's the, the one, the girl has passed away. She herself is not going to Jesus, but somebody on her stead is coming to Jesus for them. Do you see this distinction? That sometimes we go to Jesus for ourselves and oftentimes we go to Jesus for other people. Just, this isn't an official poll, but how many people right now know people that you think should come to Jesus? Um, how many people know that if they were to surrender their life to Jesus, their lives would totally be transformed? Yes, we know a lot of those people. And we keep waiting for them to come to Jesus. And I'm telling you right now, Jairus goes to Jesus on his daughter's behalf. So we can go to Jesus on behalf of other people and, and believe that God can work a miracle in their lives. Huh, who said Amen. Well done. Gold star. If we're keeping score, Brett Mason got 100 points. Thank you for that. Yes. And just so you know, we are keeping score. It's back there. I keep a whiteboard with everyone's name. Brett, 100 points today. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> yeah, we come to Jesus on our own, and we come to Jesus for others. Some of you won't even know till you get to heaven that there are people that have been praying for you for so long that you just wise, wise up to your senses, if you will, and come to Jesus, and you'll realize that they are the ones that brought you in. Anyways, closing up here, J.C. Ryle writes this, that these are but examples of what God is doing continually on every side. There's sickness and death. 
These are all evils which God did not create at the beginning, but man has brought upon himself by the fall. When sin entered into the world, death and sickness came in. There would be no more sorrow and no sickness among, among Adam's children if there had been no sin. So this condition of the world is driven by sin. And if we continue to read Luke's biography about Jesus, we will see that not only can he heal people and raise them from the dead, but he is ultimately gonna stab sin and death and the grave in its heart and kill it forever. And he will proclaim, get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave, everyone. And those of us who believe will see that God has taken back which was lost in the garden. Jesus does that by his death on the cross, by his resurrection, and we by faith believe it. And that has transformed our lives. Jesus is amazing. But it requires faith, our faith to believe this. We have to reach out and be those who touch Jesus through our faith and, and proclaim that he's the one who fixed us and healed us. We have to admit this. Let me read this last paragraph for you. When we reach out to touch Jesus through our faith, we can receive a touch back from him. When the woman reached out to Jesus, she um, not only had faith to believe he could help her, but she also had an expectation that he would. And there's a little distinction there too, but maybe should be noted or mentioned that there's a faith issue component, but there's an expectation component as well. Some would say that this expectation is the breeding ground for miracles. Some would say the expectation is what's necessary for us to receive some of what God is doing. We could talk about that at a different time. But the opposite is also true. When our expectation is low, when our expectation is non-existent, it will, it will breed disappointment, frustration, and lack of hope. Many Christians have low expectations because what has happened to you in the past or, or maybe what hasn't happened. I've been praying for this for 20 years, Lord. What is wrong with you? We should be asking God to give us more faith. Give us more expect, uh, uh, expectant belief and faith so that he can do something profound in our lives. Hmm. So I'm finished. Already? Yes, thank you. Please, Jeff, another 40 minutes, please. Please, Jeff. No, I'm done. I, I, um, if you're visiting with us, this is a common occurrence at Renaissance. I don't know how to end sermons. Um, so sometimes I just ask the Lord what he wants to do next.
You guys are great. I want to pray for us. Would you bow your heads with me? We know that we come to you humbly. These accounts from Luke's gospel are powerful. That really to be fuel to the flame of our faith, Lord. When Kathy is standing up here proclaiming to me backstage, she says, Jeff, I'm so thankful I'm reading this passage about God healing people because of what he's done in my life. Like nobody better could read this passage. And I agree with her. And if you're a person here's been carrying around something for years, I don't know, something just holding on to you, just barnacle to your side, you wish you could cut it off. I don't know what it is. I'm telling you, reach out to Jesus. He could be the one and expect him to change. Expect him to make the change in your life. So many of us have leaned into spirituality that was not rooted in Christ. It was this mysticism, this, this other type of spirituality, and it has distorted your view of what Jesus Christ can do. You've bought into the belief that incantations and religious fervor is what brings change in your life. It is not this story that Luke is telling us. It is a story of faith of a person who believed in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, only but a little bit is all she knew. And she reaches out and God transforms her. In Jesus' name, be released from that lie that says you have to try more, that you have to do it a certain way, that you have to have all of your life lined up and fixed before you come to Jesus. And it's not what this story teaches. Jesus, we know that you heal. Lord, we know our faith will be tested. The Bible promises that. And so Lord, we ask as you test our faith, we believe in you, but there'll be moments when our faith will falter. When it's tested, we ask, oh God, that you would buttress us, that you would support us and hold us together. And that you'd place around us those people who are stronger than us when we are weak. We need a community where we lift each other up. And so Lord, we lift up those who are facing sickness and despair, challenging circumstances. Pray that they would find courage and hope in their faith and trust Jesus and everything. Lord, we love you as we leave this place. Would you continue to strengthen us and encourage us? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to support you and have you be a part of our community. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. There you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, and even contribute to the growth of the church through online giving. Or you can come see us in person on Sunday mornings in downtown Decatur. We can't wait to see you.